Well, it didn't seem like very long ago I was here before, much the same circumstance. This week, uh, I was not supposed to preach, <laughs> but unfortunately, I got the easy task. Um, one of the elders was called away. His mother was deathly ill, and I am pretty darn sure it's easier to preach a message than it is to watch your mother sick on her deathbed. But the brother called and or sent me a text just before the service um, saying, Mom's doing good. Yeah, good times. Anyway, so now I go about the easier task of preaching to you today from John chapter 3. We've been talking about the spirit, or rather Dan has, and this week I'm going to continue on in that vein. Let me start like this. Sometimes we just got to start over. We screwed it up. We didn't do it right. The plans we made, the things we built, they didn't last. The storms have come, the winds rage, and we've been found wanting. Our house was built on sandy soil, and now the house is gutted, and all that we were supposed to have doesn't remain. Tragic though it seems, it's necessary. It's necessary that our work be exposed for what it is, the work of our hands and not the work of our Lord. And if the storm doesn't come and we live under the pretense that we, by our own hands, can somehow fashion a relationship with God or righteousness in our acts, we're worse than fools. Because we can't. John chapter 2 finds Jesus in just this situation. He's about to gut the house. He's about to send the storm through. He's about to say, enough, people. You've been living by your own strength. You've been doing things by your own hands. Enough. Thank you, brother. In John chapter 2, verse 18, it finds Jesus in Jerusalem at the Passover. He goes to the temple where he sees what he sees causes him to gut the house. He walks in. He looks around, he sees the, the animals, <laughs> he sees the people selling the animals, he sees the, the guys exchanging the money, and he says, enough, out, get out. My house is supposed to be a house of prayer. The Jews don't, get, don't particularly like this, and he, he's confronted, saying, what, what are you doing? You know, show us a sign so we know who you are, Jesus. Strangely enough, Jesus did show him signs. Many signs, John says. And many believed. Look at, if you will, it's going to be on the screens here if you don't have your Bibles. But chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, we're told, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. I find this kind of strange. I mean, here are people who are believing in his name. That seems like a good thing, doesn't it? They believe in his name. They saw the signs and went, whoa, well, believe in Jesus. But Jesus doesn't entrust himself to them. Why? Well, the answer is in the end of verse 24, because he knew all people. And at the end of verse 25, for he himself knew what was in man. That term man there is actually people. It doesn't mean just men. So it's all of us. He knew that even though they could make an outward confession with their mouth, 
that inwardly that confession came from corruption. It came from sin. It came from a house that needed to be gutted of the old system of religion, the old works of man. And so he doesn't entrust himself to him. Let me give you an illustration. I grew up in Minnesota, and we had this crabapple tree that we lived next to. And crabapples aren't very good until you wait late in the year, and they start getting a little bit sweet. Now, crab apples are good for apple pie. They'll put lots of sugar, my mom tells me. I don't like cooked fruit. But anyway, there they are. And I looked at that apple, and I grabbed that apple. and You squeeze it. You make sure that sucker's hard because no one wants a soft apple now, do they? I squeeze it, and I look at it, polish it up on the old shirt. Go to take a bite of that thing, and you get sink your teeth about, oh, half an inch in there, and all of a sudden the mush comes out. That slimy ooze of decomposed fruit Probably has a couple worms in it too, but you don't go that far, do you? You're like, no way. How could something that looks so good and so right on the outside actually be a source of sickness? A source of death to some if they were to eat it. That's what Jesus is getting at. When we come to him apart from him, we cannot confess him. Because it comes from a heart that is rotten to the core. All of us. You, me, Dan Deckard, the Pope, all of us. The point is that Jesus knows we're flawed. And he will not, us allow, he will not allow us to walk in a way of unbelief, professing belief. He's going to confront you. And so he does. In John chapter 3, praise God that Although the sad note of song, the sad note of chap, chapter two ends on a real minor key, chapter three comes along. And it's a minor song for a long way through it, but at the end it's glorious. So bear with me. I know it'll be hard because it's, it's convicting. We are these people. We are just like them. We are no different. We need Jesus just like they need Jesus. We need the Spirit just like they need the Spirit. God can help. In John 3, we are either going to be encouraged in our spirit by the spirit as to what is taught about the new birth. Or in the flesh, we are going to flee from the teaching found here back into the darkness of our sin because the people of darkness did not want to come into the light. I would pray, and I want you to pray with me earnestly. As earnestly as God of heaven and earth can move you, that we would choose the former, to live by the Spirit of God, to be moved by God, not to be moved in our own flesh, because we'll see that way is destruction. So let's pray together. God, you have formed us. You have made us. You've established this moment since the beginning of time. And Lord, We pray that you would have mercy on our souls. We pray that you would have mercy on our souls in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us new life, not by our will, but by yours. God, may we experience the life-giving effects of the Spirit as he opens our eyes to the kingdom and enables us to walk and step with the way that is Jesus Christ. And so, we may enter the kingdom of God Again, Lord, not by our strength, but by yours.
glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. We begin John chapter 3. The voice at, voice at the end of John chapter 2, basically, Jesus doesn't entrust himself to people who apparently believe he's someone special by the miracles he does. Now, the illustration is going to be driven home by an illustration. The illustration is going to be of Nicodemus. Check out verse 1 with me. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Coming out of chapter 2, we're introduced to a Pharisee. He's part of the ruling party called the Sanhedrin. These guys were, well, if you don't know how history worked with the Romans, the Romans would come in, take over a place, and basically say, you can run your government, do your little thing, just make sure you don't step beyond what Caesar wants. So the Jewish government was still going right along. The religious guys were leading it, having a good time. The Sanhedrin, composed of uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, were there doing their thing. Nicodemus is one of them. Now, if you don't know about the Pharisees, you could go, like I did, and read <laughs> numerous pages of stuff that's way too technical for me in too many languages I don't understand. Or you could just listen to Jesus. Let's listen to Jesus, because here's what he has to say about this deal. Who are the Pharisees? We see in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 25 through 20, or I'm sorry, chapter 23, 25 through 26. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Not a good start. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. So we see that the Pharisees operated under this erroneous assumption that outward behavior could change an inward desire. Let me say that again. Outward behavior, if I just keep acting a certain way, eventually the inside will follow. Jesus didn't agree with that. That's why he didn't entrust himself, entrust himself to them. Jesus says the core of your apple is rotten. Unless you're changed from the inside out, there is no change. You have deceived yourself. So Jesus rebukes the thinking of the Pharisees in Matthew 23, and indeed we will see here in John 3. And so Nicodemus, a Pharisee flawed from the inside out, erroneously seeking righteousness in outward action, seeks an audience with Jesus. That gives us to verse 2. Verse 2 reads, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Know what Nicodemus says here. First thing, not what he says, he comes to Jesus. That is not a bad thing. Because he's coming to the one person who can change his erroneous thinking, his wrong thinking. He comes to Jesus. Interestingly, he comes to Jesus at night. And we could spend a lot of time figuring out why would Nicodemus come at night? Well, maybe he was ashamed. Maybe he was intimidated by the ruling party. You know, they, they eventually are the ones that are going to condemn, condemn Jesus to death in trial. Maybe he's nervous about what they would think. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's a working guy like us. And during the day, nine to five, he doesn't have the time. So he's just coming after work to see Jesus. Maybe it's more spiritual than that. John has a habit in his writing to spiritualize things. And he says, Nicodemus came at night, and indeed, in the darkness of his soul, he approached the light. 
All of them could be true. The point being, Nicodemus has come to the right one. Whether by night or whether by day, he has approached the one who is the true light. He says to him, Rabbi, which means great one. We know that you are a teacher come from God. So the great one come from God who is a teacher for no one can do these signs unless God is with them. The great one who comes from God, who is a teacher, who God is with, who does miraculous signs. It sounds to me like Nicodemus has got his spiritual act together, doesn't it? I mean, he's got all the right things there. He's come from God. God is with him. He's the great one. He's the teacher. Nicodemus is recognizing something here. Let's see what Jesus thinks about his confession. In verse 3, we read Jesus saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter, or I'm sorry, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus tells Nicodemus and us that though we see Jesus as a great one, a teacher come from God, imbued with the power of God to do wonders and signs from God, he says, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Let that soak in for a minute here. It looked like he had it. it. Looked like the sermon was going to be pretty short. That's all we got to do. Just be like Nicodemus. No, it ain't that short. Jesus says, you can't even see the kingdom, Nicodemus. So Nicodemus comes as a student to Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and says, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, you, you've got to, this is a noteworthy observation here. How many of us, How many of us come to church and we acknowledge Jesus Christ as the great one, a teacher come from God, endowed with his power. And we cannot see the kingdom of God because we are not born again. The point he's trying to drive home to Nicodemus is, cool, Pharisee, teacher of the law. You can't get in. You can't even see it. So it's possible to recognize Jesus Christ for who he is and what he can do, indeed what he does, and not be alive. That should scare us. It does Nicodemus. Look what he says in verse 4. Nicodemus says to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You can see there's a little worry in, in Nicodemus. Either that or he's, he's got a sense of humor but I don't think he's joking right now. He says to Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? Listen carefully to what he says next. Can he, the man, enter into his mother a second time? Whose effort? Man's. Nicodemus is not tracking with Jesus here, is he? He's still thinking he's got to do something. I don't want to give you a word picture. The point being, Nicodemus is trying to rebirth himself, and you can't do that. You can't do that. And so Nicodemus, is he's asking what he knows is, what, what do I do to, be, to make myself born again? How many of us are carrying the same thinking? How many of us are thinking that it is, it is us who initiates being born again. Jesus won't have any of Nicodemus's flawed thinking and none of ours either. Look at his response in verse 5. 
Jesus answers, truly, truly, or we could say, amen, amen, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So now he moves from, and catch this, he moves from, you can't see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, to you can't enter the kingdom of God. Because you're not born again by the water and the spirit. We could spend weeks on what being born of water means. Because there are so many different arguments. But I'll take, I'll take this road because I think it's the right one. And I think it's the safest. But I'm open to arguments if anybody should have any. Basically, it's this. Who's Jesus talking to? Nicodemus. Who is Nicodemus? He's a Pharisee. What are Pharisees studied in? The Old Testament. Jesus wouldn't be making an allusion to something that Nicodemus doesn't know about because he says later on to him, how can you not know this, teacher of Israel? How can you not know this? Our answer is found in the book of Ezekiel. Nicodemus should have heard Jesus' words. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Born of water. Ooh, born of spirit, new heart. Oh, I, but he doesn't for some reason, which is scary. Which is scary. Because here is a man far more studied than most all of us. Probably far more studied than most any three of us put together ever will be. He knew the Old Testament. The Pharisees did. They were really good at knowing the Old Testament. But he didn't remember this. Look at this verse from Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 24. God says, for I, God, will take you out of the nation. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will sprinkle clean water on you, God says, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I'm going to finish up the second half of that passage here in a moment, but let's stop there. Two things we note from this verse. One, who's gathering everybody from all the nations? Not Nicodemus and the Pharisees. God. God himself gathers from the nations. Check the second part out. Who does the sprinkling? Right on. This is not a picture of baptism. I know some will argue that up and down. But this is a cleansing that comes from heaven. A water that comes from heaven. Is anybody picking up who the guy is that comes from heaven? Who is the water? (laughs) He's standing right in front of Nicodemus, isn't he? Nicodemus doesn't see it, but Jesus does. We're told later in John 4.14, the first sermon I preached at Parkway was on John chapter 4 about three years ago. We read in John chapter 4, verse 14, whoever drinks the water I, Jesus gives him, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The water that Jesus is speaking about is the water that he gives that comes by the way of the Spirit. Or again, later in John 7, 38, listen to what he says, whoever believes in me, As the scripture, he's referring to the Old Testament there, has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, verse 39, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him would later receive. So we see this water coming from God, 
in Ezekiel and in John, and that water is Jesus Christ. I am the living water. But I wonder... wonder how many of us have drank of that water. How many of us have been cleansed from heaven by the water that comes from heaven? Jesus wants to make it clear that this water does not come by your effort or my effort. Look at the very next verse in 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit Spirit. The efforts of our flesh, that's the actions that we perform or the thoughts that shape our actions, they're rotten to the core. And unless the living water from heaven come down and cleanse us, we continue to operate from less than perfection. Because that which is born of flesh is flesh. We have to ask ourselves this question. If we could put a spigot on our heart, a tap, and people could come by and, and fill up with the water that is in your soul, as they pulled that tapper back and brought that glass to their mouth, what would they sip? Would they sip the living water of Jesus Christ? that has cleansed you from your sin? Would they sip the new spirit that has been put in you by the Spirit of God for the purposes of God? Or will you continue to pour forth from spouts of hearts the residue of our nature? Sin. That which is born of flesh is flesh. Jesus tells Nicodemus and us today in verse 7, listen to this, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Do not marvel, Nicodemus, do not marvel, John, that I said you must be born again. In other words, do not be surprised that you need to be made anew from above. In order to see In order to enter the kingdom of God, the Spirit of God must come upon you and rebirth your spirit. The water from heaven must fall to cleanse your sin. The Spirit of God must fill and quicken your spirit and make you alive. Otherwise, you ain't getting in. You're not even going to see it. We cannot enter the kingdom of God because we walk in the ways of our flesh rather than the way that is Jesus Christ. Any effort on our behalf to initiate the water from heaven, the rebirth from heaven, is fruitless. You got to wonder then, why are we here? What's the point then? If if God does everything and we do nothing because we're so mean, evil, and nasty, why don't we just drink, eat, and be merry? Call it a day. Jesus confirms the futility of us trying to do the water from heaven, the being born of water and born of the Spirit. Look at verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, 
and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The point is clear from verse 8. The one who performs the decisive act in making us alive is the Spirit of God. Now, when we're confronted by the freedom of the Spirit in initiating the new birth, we, along with Nicodemus, would be totally lost. If I was standing there in front of Jesus, I guarantee you I would have said something pretty much along the lines of Nicodemus. Look what he says. How can this be? Let it sink in here because you've got to remember who Nicodemus is and where he's been, his experiences, his whole life, his whole goal has been to live as God wanted him to live, to outwardly act as God wanted him to act. Imagine Nicodemus with decades, decades of study and prayer and acts in accordance with the law of Moses concerning or coming to the realization that, that none of those things mattered apart from the new birth that comes not by the will of man, but by the will and act of the Spirit. No wonder John exclaimed in the first chapter in verse 10. I'm sorry, I've got the wrong verse there. He exclaims to John in the first, in the first chapter, I think it's verse 13. For some reason I've lost it. Oh, here it is. He says, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So Jesus is really hammering the point home that can't do nothing. Spirit moves the way he moves. Nicodemus. Got to be born again, born of the water. Can't see the kingdom, can't enter the kingdom. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Jesus answers him in verse 10. Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? And there it is. All his training, all his years, all that knowledge has culminated in how can this be? Years of study have culminated in how can this be? He doesn't have a clue. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. He should have known the Ezekiel passage. It wasn't brought to mind because who brings to mind the word of God in a child of God? Spirit of God. Back to Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 28. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. It's almost verbatim what Jesus said. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. Right along with the water that cleanses, we see God giving us a new heart and spirit in which God's spirit will move us in his ways. We don't act our way into righteousness. God actively moves us in his righteousness. Not by the will of human birth, human thought, or human determination, but rather by the will of God. Hallelujah. Just think about it. If God doesn't move you, you don't move. We don't move unless God moves us. I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit stubborn. (laughs) No, I'm stubborn to the core. 
I don't even think I know the depths of my own stubbornness. My wife does. My daughter does. Jesus says, you've got to be born of the Spirit because if you try to praise God in your own power, you're never going to know Him, you're never going to follow Him, much less love Him. Jesus goes on in the very next verse, verse 11. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. In verse 11, Jesus assures us, first of all, that he is a good witness. Now, there's a we there. All right. There's a we there. This is a tough one because Nicodemus came saying we. Maybe he had some disciples with him. Maybe he was representing a few people. Now Jesus uses the same term. Maybe he's doing it to match Nicodemus, saying, you've got your team, I've got my team. Maybe. But I don't think so. I don't think so. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. The only one so far in the Bible who's been speaking, or in John, who's been speaking, is Jesus and John the Baptist. And John, we know that he leapt in the womb by the power of the Spirit. Yeah, if you're going to leap for joy in God, it better be in the power of the Spirit or else you ain't got no vertical, spiritually speaking. Jesus is the great witness. Why? (laughs) Because he's God. God come in the flesh. He knows. And he bears witness along with the host of heaven whether it be the angels in heaven, whether it be the Spirit, whether it be the Father, whether it be the throng of saints, past, present, and future, who are all going to be outside of time, they look in and say, right on, Jesus, you're right. They don't know, they don't receive you, but you're right. Jesus knows and has seen the supernatural working of the Spirit. It descended upon Him. He was moved into the wilderness. He preached. He healed. We do not receive the testimony of Jesus because we have been born of natural descent and we're doomed to spiritual blindness because of that sin. Jesus goes on in verse 12, I have told you earthly things and you don't believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? At this point, it's the darkest hour for Nicodemus and us. Jesus says, you can't even understand earthly things. There's no snowball's chance anywhere you're going to understand heavenly things. Now that Nicodemus is solidly stuck in his ignorance about the new birth, we have to wonder what Jesus is going to do with him. Because unless he gets some hope, it's all over. But like I said, Jesus is a Savior, mighty a wonderful God. He made the world. He saw that it was good. He changes my heart. He changes my nature. And though I am blind and cannot see, and though I am crippled and cannot walk, He says, rise and see. Jesus answers the question in His words in verse 13. Even though Nicodemus has not experienced a new birth by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
Jesus does not kick him or us to the proverbial spiritual curb. Instead, Jesus tells us to shift our gaze. And here's the point. If we are to receive the new birth from heaven, we have to shift our gaze. Look what Jesus says. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And so now Nicodemus is going, whoa, you're talking about spirit. Couldn't really see the spirit. You know, you hear it sound and all that stuff. But now you're talking about you, Jesus. Where are you going with this? Jesus says, I have been to heaven. I have come down from heaven. You can trust me, Nicodemus. I'm the one you have to look to to see the Spirit. I'm the one you have to look to to receive the Spirit. I'm the one who's going to give you the Spirit, Nicodemus. I don't want to see you trying to climb back into no womb. That's wrong. I'm the one who's going to move you, Nicodemus. But how? How? How can this be? Jesus is saying, I'm the starting point. I'm the beginning. I'm the foundation. I'm the center of the new birth. Though we cannot intellectually grasp the intricacies of the new birth, Jesus says, though you can't understand, I already do. Follow me. Come to me. In Revelation 7.17, we read, For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. Hallelujah. The Lamb. Jesus. So, so, Lord, how are we to look upon you? How are we to move? Jesus is about to give us the key to how we can experience the new birth mentioned in verse 5. We see in John three fourteen. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Well, here it is. Let those who have ears hear, and may God give you understanding. Back in the Old Testament book of Numbers, God sends a plague on the Israelites because they're being bad again. They're grumbling. They're not happy with the way he does things, how it's going. So he sends a plague of snakes, and these snakes are particularly nasty. One bite, you're dead. God in his mercy, though, tells Moses to fashion a snakehead of brass and set it on a pole, a tree, a staff. And he says, Moses, you go hold that thing up and you tell all the people who have been bitten by snakes, and notice it's not preventative. It's not, if you haven't been bitten, look upon it. You, you have to be bitten for this thing to work, and, and we're all bitten. <laughs> we're all bitten. He says, gaze upon the snake on the pole, and you will be healed. Well, Nicodemus should have picked it up. We're going to need a little more explanation, though. And here it is. Anybody know what the symbol for sin is in the Bible? The serpent, snake. And you know that cursed pole that that sin resides on? I get goosebumps. When God told those Israelites that you are poisoned and to be healed, you must look upon sin on the cursed tree. What was he saying? 
Look at Jesus. You cannot receive the Spirit unless you're first willing to look at sin that was cursed on the tree for us. We're doomed apart from that. Oh God, be merciful and show us that unless we gaze upon He who knew knew no sin and became sin for us, that we are still in our sin. Jesus says, look to me. Look to me. Do not look to yourself. Do not try to save yourself by the works of your hands. Your house, your home, your belongings. Everything you have is going to be wiped away. And you will be left with nothing but the sin that has rotted our souls since the beginning of our time. When we turned away from God with our choice. But praise God that with his choice, he turned to us. What's the point? John tells us to look upon the Son of Man lifted up. John tells us to look upon the Son of Man lifted on the cross for our sins, lifted up from the grave for our hope, lifted up to the right hand of God as our priest, and finally lifted up on the clouds in triumph return to fully establish His kingdom. Lift up your eyes. Let your gaze be lifted up. To the one who has come from heaven, who has lived perfectly and become cursed on the cross for us, bearing our sin, though he knew no sin. Have you looked at Jesus lifted up for your sins? Do it. Don't wait. God, please don't let anybody in here wait. Day, if you do not harden your heart, is the day of salvation. And you can look upon the Savior crucified for your sins. Sinners, look to Jesus for cleansing. To Jesus for cleansing that is needed, that the Spirit of God can come in after Jesus does that house cleaning and He can set up shop, give you that new spirit. He can give you a new heart. He can give you a whole new attitude on things. Saint, those of you that know Jesus, won't you lift up Jesus Christ today? How do we do it? If we know Him by His Spirit, how do we lift up Jesus Christ in the power of the new birth because we've experienced the cleansing of Christ already? He's come in. He's thrown out the money changers. The animals are gone. The guys selling them are gone. He's tossing them left and right. They're out of there. Lift him up. By showing that he has enabled you to walk in the good works that he alone has prepared and empowered you to do. You know what that is. You have the spirit just as I do. Pray, God, what would you have me do? Might be nice if you helped out your neighbor. (laughs) Whatever he moves you to. But pray. So we're going to spend just a few moments. Jeannie's going to come play piano. I don't know where you're at with the whole idea of, 
of the water of God coming from heaven in the person of Jesus Christ and looking upon him dying for your sins and saying, God, clean my house. (laughs) Clean it. But he does. Call out to him. Take a few moments to, to go on your knees, to stand, to lay down. I don't care what position you're in. Go before him and say, God, I I don't understand the new birth. How can it be? How does this work? I mean, if Nicodemus, a man of study and scholarship, he can't figure it out, who am I? Look to Jesus. Who knows? Maybe God in his infinite mercy will pour out his spirit upon you. You will see. You will enter the kingdom of God.